Our scripture reading this morning comes from the book of 2 Peter, chapter 1, beginning at verse 11 and extending to the end of the chapter. We're starting in the middle of the train, really. We've heard quite a bit about uh, adding this and this and this and this, and we enter in, for so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. For this reason, I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, though you know and are established in the present truth. Yes, I think it is right, as long as I am in this tent, to stir you up by reminding you, knowing that shortly I must put off this tent, just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. Moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the, the excellent glory, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation, <clears throat> for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I don't usually like starting a Scripture reading in the middle, effectively, of a sentence, but in verse 11, there is a fairly significant concept that going forward in our sermon, we need to consider. The Apostle Peter has, up till this point, been describing the pattern of sanctification in the Christian's life. He begins with the gift of faith, this is conversion, and then there is the growth of the virtues that we looked at at length last week. And then there is a conclusion to that growth. There is a finality in specifically the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If you look at the concept of the kingdom of God or the kingdom of Christ in the New Testament, the kingdom of God is wherever the king of God happens to be. If you read the Gospels, Jesus shows up and says, repent for the kingdom of hand, the kingdom of God is at hand. He's able to say that because he is God's king. He is right there at hand. And you should repent because the kingdom is very close because there stands the king. The kingdom is perpetual, and if you call it an everlasting kingdom, it has to be lasting this very minute. It's not something 
that is only in the future that you're looking forward to. There is a kingdom of God now, everlasting, everlasting. But nevertheless, the way Peter uses the phrase in verse 11, he has in mind that final form of the kingdom, which shall see the final form of ourselves. It is the culmination of the Christian life, and he bids us to enter it. Your life tends towards the gate of that kingdom. Uh, live in such a way that the gate will be thrown open wide and you will be brought in with fanfare, well done, good and faithful servant, entering into the everlasting kingdom. If we are seeking an everlasting kingdom, a couple of questions do jump to mind. Of what nature is that kingdom, saying that it's everlasting, and what things can we say make up that kingdom, because they themselves will have to be everlasting. Now, not everlasting into the past, the way I just used the phrase, but going forward, they will have to be everlasting. They will have to have a uh, eternality that God gives them. What are those things? The question ultimately is, of what are we building an everlasting kingdom out of? Well, uh, the Apostle Peter in this chapter really only mentions one thing. He mentions people. People who have been given faith, people who have been adding this to that. Now, in his first letter... Uh, Peter mentioned a few other everlasting things, and it's significant to note them. God is, of course, everlasting. And then when you uh, look at uh, the first chapter of First Peter, there is another thing that he mentions as everlasting. It is the Word of God, beginning in chapter 1 and starting in verse 22. Uh, since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit, in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Because all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man is the flower of the grass. The grass withers and its flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Yet even here in 1 Peter chapter 1, when he talks about the eternality of the word of God, he introduces it with love one another. Other people is the context. And in chapter 1 of 2 Peter, uh, the eternal kingdom is going to be made up of people. It is human beings that God graciously gives the opportunity to be eternal. We don't have eternality in ourselves. Uh, this is one of those attributes of God which is only slightly communicable. 
God doesn't depend on anyone to be eternal. God is eternal. You will live forever, but it doesn't have anything to do with you. You were a created being. God created you in time. And should God ever decide, I don't really want you to continue, you would not continue. There is no immortality in yourself. You will always be dependent upon God that you exist. But nevertheless, it has been communicated to men by God's gift that they will continue forever. They will have eternality in themselves. And the kingdom is going to be made up of human beings. What are these human beings in time? Well, they are growing, developing people. They are adding this to that and this to that until they come to the end of that process. There is something significant to what happens on Earth. I have uh, some relatives who believe that the sanctification process is such that you will in eternity only have risen to the level of goodness that you rose in life. That is an absurd idea, and the Bible doesn't teach it. There is a promise from God that when we see Christ, we will be made like Christ. We will have uh, done with all sorts of weakness and evil and sin. That will be done. But nevertheless, paradoxically, and in a way that it would be <clears throat> difficult to put on paper, it nevertheless really matters what we do here. It matters as we add to faith virtue. It matters as we add to virtue knowledge. Not in such a way that it will determine who we are in eternity, but it will matter. For details of such, I would point you to someone higher than I. I'm in sales and not in management, but the Bible does assure us what takes place on earth matters, and the clock is ticking. There will come a point where we do enter that kingdom, uh, the, the data set, the gate will open. We will put off this tent, as Peter describes it, and it's amazing how viewing that moment, the putting off of the tent, will crystallize your mind concerning those things that are important. Peter has been called by God to perform a ministry. He has been called to prepare human beings for this kingdom. And in light of the fact the gate will open, quite a lot of things don't look quite as important to Peter as this, because they're not. Peter is facing death. We saw that Jesus had told him, point blank, you will at some point be crucified. Uh, that's a guarantee. That was a promise from God. As you know, you can take every promise of God to the bank. Uh, this was a promise that Peter may not have liked, but it was a promise. 
the Lord Christ promised me I would die. That's coming very quickly. So I am going to consider how I will be able to continue to minister to you these things that I have been just talking about uh, as long as I live and even beyond the length of my life. This is what is important to me because God has assigned me to build the eternal kingdom. And it is built out of human beings. Therefore, I will continue to build it even after I have died. I will seek to continue to build it by way of the spiritual gifts that God has given me. We talk in this congregation at length about the concept of being post-millennial. It is a very hopeful point of view and a biblical point of view. It needs to be kept in context, though, what it is that we are hopeful for. We are told in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 31, uh, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. And when told to do everything to the glory of God, that has to include do it as best as you can do it. Do it with a mind that you're worshiping God in that you do it. Do it in a way that it will last. I mean, all of that is kind of encoded into that. But what is the eternal kingdom truly built out of? Is it built out of anything that this world offers besides the human beings that God has given faith to? That's what the kingdom is built out of. That's what it is. Peter is focused upon the essence of the kingdom, and he says, I want to use my spiritual gifts to build the kingdom even after I have died. There is a classic doctrine that he is espousing here, not by name, we give it a name, but that doctrine is the... Uh, the communion of the saints. If you have read the Apostles' Creed, you will know that there are 12 propositions to that creed. That's one of the reasons why it gets named the Apostles' Creed, because there's 12 apostles. The creed has 12 propositions. Uh, there is a legend that each of the apostles brought a proposition to create the creed. It's not true, but there's a reason why that's, that's the legend. It is significant that the proposition, the Holy Catholic Church, is above the proposition of the communion of saints. They are not the same proposition. You would
Lord's Day as the family of God. We are built together as a family of God in the world. Uh, we share our gifts and graces to build one another up in the Christian faith. We are communing as saints. That's what you would think the term means. But in reality, all of that is under the Holy Catholic Church. God has called a church together into the world. Uh, when the church lives together as Christian family, it is holy to God. It is his one church. You're living in the world together. But the communion of saints is something slightly different, and it is mentioned afterwards. So if what I was describing is not the communion of saints, what is that communion? Well, the communion of saints is rooted in the concept that Peter is not unique in being called to build the kingdom. As we saw, as we looked at the first part of the chapter, Peter begins by emphasizing, I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ, but I have been given a faith that is no more holy or significant than your faith. Every disciple of Jesus Christ has been given the same level, the same godly faith. Uh, apostle is an office, but it doesn't make me different. Um, God calls all of his people to build his kingdom. And uh, we build this kingdom in a way that the gifts and graces we have been given continue beyond our lifetime. When you and I share together in the Christian faith today, uh, perhaps edifying one another at the dinner table, talking about the things of our Lord, uh, that is for today. But is it merely for today? The communion of saints says that God gives to his disciples gifts and graces that will roll down through time. That you will hear from your grandfather something when you are eight. He will be ministering to you, and he will care for you in the Lord in some way. Perhaps he will commune with you a, a insight that God has given him. And you, the eight-year-old, will remember that. And long after Grandpa is dead, and you have become the grandfather, that gift of your grandfather will stay with you, and you may be with your grandchild, and the Lord will use what your grandfather ministered to you to minister to your grandchild. And you may build him up in the Lord, speaking to him of what God gave to you through your grand grandfather, and perhaps decades later, after you are dead, he may minister to his grandson the very same thing. It was given by God to the original grandfather, but it rolls through time as God's truth, using the gifts and graces that God has given his disciples, continues to minister age after age to people yet unborn. 
that is what the communion of saints is all about. God gives us all the gifts we need to bless God's church throughout the ages. Uh, J.C. Ryle has been dead a very long time, but I pick up his book and I read what God showed him, and Ryle ministers to me 120 years later, such as the communion of saints. And Peter says of his own life, I want to consciously live in a way that that will happen. The grace of God has indebted me, not just to the people who live this very moment, it has indebted me to my grandchildren and to my great-grandchildren and to all those who will come after me. I want to see God's kingdom built of people that he has given faith to and then they grow in sanctification, and I will be part of that even though I am gone. Because the kingdom really is everlasting, and I really am a part of the kingdom. And even though there will come a time where I will put off my tent, and I will not be in this world, I will still be in the kingdom. I will have... A, a stake in the game, if you will. And I want to see God glorified by the gifts and graces he has given me long, long, long after I am no longer in the world with those gifts and graces. And so Peter says, I will, I will build you up and I will build you even after I am gone. This is true kingdom thinking. Oftentimes when we think about building the kingdom of God, what we have more in mind is the scaffolding of the kingdom of God than the actual kingdom. We think in terms of great cathedrals. We think in terms of uh, organized ministries. We think in terms of lasting businesses and all of that. And as I said, we have already seen the scripture says, whatever you do, do to the glory of God. So don't hear anything I'm about to say, saying that these things don't matter or they're light, that sort of thing. But they are the scaffolding of the building. The kingdom of God is made up of the people of God. It is not made up of cathedrals where the people meet. The kingdom of God is built up by ministries, but ministries can go awry, and yet the kingdom remains. Have you ever considered uh, one of the greatest cathedrals in all of history, which is in fact very uh, deep in our hearts, Consider, if you will, Westminster Abbey. It is a magnificent structure, and it lasts to this day. It was built to last. It was where the Westminster Assembly met when they uh, wrote that remarkable statement of the Christian faith, the Westminster Standards. It was used by God providentially to be a place where the King James Bible was translated. 
a magnificent place historically. But today, while it stands as solid as ever, uh, this Lord's Day, there may be inside of it 25 people, a congregation, yes, an Episcopal congregation of the Church of England, where the gospel is not held to. It is one of the most liberal of churches on earth. But what a beautiful building. When we consider what it is that we should be building and with an eye for eternity, the focus is the people. I was in uh, Half Price Books three or four weeks ago, and this was another case of where I should have bought a book and I didn't. There's only so much room in the house, though, and, you know, but it, it, was, a, it was a book from 1890. It was called Studies in Isaiah, and it was written for the YMCA. It was a really very remarkable book. It was written so that young men might have something to meditate upon while at the YMCA, and it was actually at a more scholarly level than most of the stuff I saw in seminary. Um, that's what the YMCA was a hundred and so many years ago. Um, the YMCA remains, but as a piece of scaffolding, it has fallen to ruin. The kingdom of God is people. The city of God is the people of God. The temple of God is the people of God. The Holy Spirit takes up residence in human hearts. It is in the fellowship of believers that the Holy Spirit cries out, Abba, Father, and points us to Jesus Christ. Peter says, you are approaching the kingdom. I will labor to the very last moment of my life to build the kingdom. I will ensure that the gifts and graces God has given me will continue to build the kingdom. And the kingdom is the saved people that our Lord Jesus Christ gave his blood for. It is the people that God gives faith to. If you are looking for something to be hopeful about, if you are looking for something to build, that's what kingdom building is about. May God give us always proper perspective.